Hi, and welcome to today's Community Conversations. Our guest is Teppanwananshi Jeremy Neranye. He was born in Zimbabwe and moved to Australia in 2006. He first moved to Alice Springs and then on to Melbourne. He's gone on to university and completed a Bachelor of Biomedicine, but also established an organisation called African Youth Alliance, which aims to empower young African people in the community. Welcome, Tabua. Thank you for being on the program today. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Now, tell us where you're from. Uh, Zimbabwe in Southern Africa. I was born in Harare. And um, yeah, that's where I'm from. And then I ended up moving to Australia a bit later. Right. So tell us a little bit about your primary, secondary school. Obviously, some of it was done back in Zimbabwe. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my primary schooling was at Hatfield Primary School in Harare. Um, that was from um, grade one to, to grade three. Then we moved to Alice Springs when my mother got a job in Alice Springs. And um, I was in 2006, that's when we moved here. Um, initially, my mum came first um, earlier in the year and then we came at the end of the year. So then I did um, grade five, four, grade four and five in Alice Springs. Then moved. Well, that must have been a really big difference between <laughs> doing um, grades one to three in Zimbabwe and then going to Alice Springs. I mean, that's a big jump for, you know, a, an average Australian, let alone somebody who's come from another country. Yeah, it was, I would say, like, the biggest challenge was mostly, like, cultural differences in terms of, like, like how things were just very different in terms of, um, like, how school was done. It was, like, a lot more, it was a lot louder in here, in, in Alice Springs. Um, students, like, were able to, like, do whatever they wanted. Like, that was a massive difference was uh, in Zimbabwe at Hatfield like everyone was quiet everyone is a bit fearful as well of like getting hit because like that's allowed so yeah so it was just a different experience. I have heard that that um that it's a bit more relaxed here whereas in Zimbabwe you actually would be given punishment for for not being quiet or not being respectful. 100% so like um yeah so school is taking like a lot more seriously from a young age, whereas like I feel here school becomes serious in like yeah eleven year twelve, but like there it's taken seriously from the beginning. So when you went to Alice Springs, were you one of the minorities, or did you feel like that you know you could fit in? No, there's a really strong Zimbabwean community in Alice Springs and Darwin. It's like a really big community, so it was good in that sense to have um, people who also speak your language who can help in that sense as well. And um, the people like were very friendly as well. So um, had some issues, but um, mainly it was it was fine. And so, in terms of the the teaching aspect, how did you respond to that difference? Um, it was like, like a lot more like laissez faire, like more relaxed approach. And uh, I had some really like really really good teachers there. So um, that sort of pushed me as well. So that was good. Um, but it was like just sort of adjusting to like how relaxed everything was and do you think you prefer that style or do you think that the hardcore you know um quiet punishment style works better i wouldn't say i i prefer either because like i'm uh, mostly like a self-motivated person so like i can do things by myself but i sort of enjoyed having like that trust of like they knew i was going to do the work and that they didn't have to follow up or sort of check on me so that was sort of good to have as well and what did your 
families say about, you know, your experiences, you come home from school and say, wow, you know, this is completely different, you know, everybody's very loud. What was their response? No, it was it was quite interesting because I have a twin brother as well. So, like, we're, we're in the same class and then also my older brothers are experiencing high school at the same time. So we're discussing all these different experiences that we're having as well instead of just comparing, like, how completely different it was and just having to adjust as quickly as possible. I think the focus was just on adjusting as quickly as possible and like just having that support of our parents. And so one thing I should ask is how did you cope with the heat, especially in summer? I mean, it's a dry, hot place, Alice Springs. Incredibly hot. Uh, there's flies everywhere. Like, yeah, so after a while you get used to it, but initially like the first, because like, we got there in December when it's their show in summer. So like uh, it was uh, quite an intense first few months. Like I couldn't believe how hot it was. And in contrast to Zimbabwe, yeah, in Zimbabwe it's it's warm, but it's not like um, that sort of like that dry, that dry intense heat. Whereas like in Zimbabwe, when it's hot, if you go under a tree like where there's like a shady area, you feel cool. Whereas in Alice Springs, you couldn't escape in the shade. It was just hot. Yeah, everywhere. it's a bit like an oven, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you finished primary school and then where did you go to? Oh, so finished primary school, ended up finishing grade six in Melbourne. So we moved here in 2008, did grade six at Hillsmere Primary School in uh, Narrow and South. Then from there, went to St. John's Regional College in Daniel for my entire high school experience. Wow. So how did you or how did it occur that you went from Alice Springs to Melbourne? So uh, my mum and my dad decided that there will be more opportunities, which they're absolutely right. There'll be more opportunities in Melbourne for us. So that was the reason why we moved. Um, so then we ended up coming here and then that's a adjust again. I was going to say, tell me about that adjustment. It's really, you know, it's like country to, to city, isn't it, really? Because Melbourne's a big city. Absolutely. I think it was really good that we went to Alice Springs first before coming here. Because I think if we had come to Melbourne directly, it would have been too much of a shock in terms of like culture. So having that sort of like first two years and then sort of moving gradually here was better because it's very full on in Melbourne. Everything's fast paced. So yeah, and the sort of the Zimbabwean community here is not as all together in one place as it is in Alice Springs. So like that kind of support mechanism wouldn't have been there that, that we had in Alice Springs. So yeah. You rocked up in year seven at your high school and how was that first year? Incredible, like amazing first year, year seven. Um, St. John's is a like, super multicultural school and there's like over 60 nationalities and my brother was um, college uh, house captain at the time so it just made it easier having having him there as well and I had my twin brother. It was an amazing year, like made my best friends for life that I still hang out with today so it was an incredible year. And did you find that you had, you know, supportive teachers and teachers that were sort of responding to that multiculturalism? Absolutely. Like, yeah, like, um, like yeah, uh, more so I picked that up in like year eight, year nine and year 10 when I had uh, Miss Devlin, which is like my favourite teacher. She's my favourite teacher ever. Amazing, amazing woman. Um, so, yeah, like um, there is a very big emphasis at St John's on like the multiculturalness of of, of the school and the community and that sort of because it's because i'm um, saying john's is a la science school yep and um, it is part of the la science school network in australia New Zealand, and papua new guinea so there's a big sort of uh, emphasis on being part of a broader global community 
and just embracing everyone's um, everyone's nationalities. There are there are some problems, and um, obviously, and did experience them in, in in year seven and year eight. So yeah. And what were they that you felt that you know that could have been done better? No, there was just like um, like like a little like a little comments that I intended to to be um, helpful. Or, or I sort of are in a good hearted, like for example, comment like, like oh, I didn't know like um, people schools in Africa taught English at like at that level, or you speak really well, or things like that that are meant to be good hearted, but like they sort of suggest that where you're coming from is below the standard that is here. Yeah, it's often um, a characterization of of a lot of African Australian students too that there's that sort of expectation of underperformance if you like, and yeah, if you sort of go 100%. over that performance, it's like, well, mm, you know, there's a questionable sort of area there. Yeah, 100%. Like there's that, like, and it wasn't just me, like even like one of my, my closest friends this day had a similar experience. So there is that like sort of like, wow, you're performing at a level that we didn't expect and that sort of same expectation is not put on other students. So, yeah, that's something that was sort of challenging initially but then as I got into like um year nine and year, year 10 and onwards when they sort of get divided according so they they we have like exams I think in year eight or year nine and they start dividing people according to cohorts like according to abilities and then you stop the comments sort of stop because they expect you to be at a particular cohort level or like group level but initially those comments are very common you really have to prove yeah you have to like Hundred percent. You have to like prove that like that you're that you're smart or like that you understand things at a particular level. And then once you you do that, there is still like some some problems. There's always problems, but um yeah, like once you sort of have like that initial hurdle, it sort of I wouldn't say it gets easier, but it's it's different in the context of of which the challenges come in. Yeah, I find that really um, interesting and a lot of people have said the same thing. So you obviously have spent some great years at St John's and you graduate and where do you go to from there? So from St John's I go to uh, Monash University to do a Bachelor of Science and Arts for a year before I transfer into a Bachelor of Biomedical Science, which I finished last year. Right. And so um, how did you find that experience again, going to higher education? I think it was, I thoroughly enjoyed my university experience. I thoroughly enjoyed my biomedicine degree. It's it's really because it is um, very much to do with what I want to do in the world. And the level of teaching and the level of um, academics at Monash, it's unbelievable. The opportunities are there. Like it it was, and because it's very um, global university, you experience a lot of um, teachers from a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, there are again problems, but in terms of like advancement of like what I wanted to do, like the opportunities were there. But there are sort of other issues. But yeah, it was it was an amazing experience, like an amazing degree. Yeah. And um, do you find that you've sort of got to sort of I can say fit in, if I like, um, easier at university? Does it get easier as you go through education, or do you think you just respond? better to that i think it's you respond i think you understand what like you understand the game that is being played and what you have to do within the game 
to to sort of continue so you sort of understand how the system sort of works in terms of sort of like fitting in i'll i'll say like i did sort of have like friends and stuff and fitting in but like it's more of like especially in in biomed it's a highly competitive degree so in that first initial year and a half people don't really want to be friends with other people it's just maintain the school groups or like the friendship groups and then like sort of later it becomes more more sort of community sort of everyone's all together but that initially like year and a half is very competitive so yeah you're sort of on your own except if you ask for support otherwise everyone's like in their own bubble just trying to compete yeah i think i'm just wondering if it's do you think it's different if you were a white student versus a student of color I think in in some instances, like when I had particular grades and I challenged the grades and I had particular responses that I know for a fact that um, other students didn't have those, other students of other nationalities didn't have those particular responses when they challenged their grades. Yeah, there were issues there. But in terms of the competitiveness and isolation, I think it's more, it was more according to like the school or the sort of community you come from, like a lot of like the private school kids, the grammar kids would sort of all be in on one side. And then sort of the other kids from like other sort of public schools and more culturally diverse schools were like on the other side and it was sort of divided accordingly into smaller groups. Yeah, it was it was mostly like that. So tell me what you do in your spare time. Oh, so... In my spare time, my friends and I started an organization four years ago called the African Youth Alliance, something that we wanted to do for a long time. So the aim of our organization is to empower young people in Australia as well as young African people. And the way that we're currently doing that right now is we have, or we created a year-long curriculum um, designed to sort of provide um, sort of young people our age and a bit younger and a bit older with the skills that you don't get in high school. So health literacy, financial literacy, um, things like that, uh, personal development, and sort of provide a community where we can have discussions and then also provide people the opportunity to network with different people in their fields as well. That's something that I'm really super, super passionate about. And so tell me one example of perhaps somebody that you remember who's gone through your um, program and come out the other side. Can you describe them for us and, and what they've gone through? Yeah, so we just started. So we launched at the beginning of this year. But like, um, the success that that we've had is um, we ran a program initially at the beginning of the year with um, Santiago and Darren, who are from an organization called Monash Young MedTech Innovators. So um, they are involved in health research as well as um, creating diagnostic tools as well as creating medical apparatus. And their session was in regards to starting an organization and the sort of tools that you need and the sort of uh, experiences. So we had a, a, a young lady who is very much interested in starting her own organization. She's currently at, at Monash as well. And she wasn't aware of all the tools and the resources that that you could have. And that, that sort of experience sort of helped her, the guys helped her sort of flink into that community. And now she's on her way into starting her organization and looking at how she can maximize the resources that she didn't know that she had. But Santiago and Darren exposed her to that's fantastic. I mean, they're the sort of, um, you know, empowering things that young people need, isn't it, to to go off and do their own thing. And I always say that, you know, once 
somebody's come under my wing, my whole attitude is for them to fly away and do something good themselves and create a whole other world. Um, and I think perhaps that's sort of the thing you're trying to do as well. Absolutely. Um, like a key principle behind our organisation is hope. We believe if you give people hope, they have the ability to do anything because hope gives you an, an audacity in in front of fear, in front of all different things in your life. You have this audacity of hope that Barack Obama calls it that that tells you that you can do things that you have no right to believe that you can do that as someone from your circumstances should not be able to do, but hope tells you that you can. And when you expose people to certain experiences and certain things that they want to do in their lives, it gives them that hope. And that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide a platform for people to, to, be, to be exposed to hope, to have hope, to meet those people, to network, so that they thoroughly believe that they can do anything that they want to do. That's pretty much our larger aim. Yeah, I think that's a great ethos to have. So in these times of COVID, um, how do you connect with people who would like to um, join your organisation or be part of that or use the services that you offer? Yeah, so initially we um, had sort of shut down because we were thoroughly unprepared for, <laughs> for COVID-19. So, um, But now we're just back up, back up and running. So we run sessions via Zoom. So we have an Instagram page and a website where people can register for events. So the events that are coming up is we have like, um, some health literacy and financial literacy workshops coming up soon as well as personal development. But yeah, so the way just to get involved is through signing up via the Eventbrite or following us on Facebook and um, Instagram. So yeah, that's that's probably the main way that we've been doing it. And then sort of trying to create the main focus that we've been focusing during this time while we sort of um, set up everything for the rest of the year is just having discussions that people want to have, especially in regards to um, Black Lives Matter. That's the past workshop that we just did in regards to racism in the workplace and everyday racism and the tools that we can use to sort of deal with that. So we are very much heavily focused on what to do, like the solutions to problems and not just discussing the problem, but how can we sort of move forward and, and sort of give people tools and skills. Yeah, so what I'll do in this podcast is in the notes um, I'll put your links to Facebook and um, Instagram and people can um, get onto them and sign up for you. So now that you're doing this sort of African Alliance for young people, what future mm. do you look like you're having in the workplace? So how are you going to balance work and, you know, continue on with this Youth Alliance? It, it very much goes along with like my sort of long-term life goals because um, what I would like to do in my life is I'd like to become a physician scientist. So that's basically a doctor who does research at the same time. Um, that's something that I was exposed to because of Miss Devlin. That's why she's like my favourite teacher. Um, so a big, a big um, sort of field that I want to work on is public health. Public health is very, very important, super duper important, especially – as we can see during this COVID times, like a lot of the reasons um, I feel that we've had such large community transmission is that as a society, we have very poor health literacy and we don't understand um, how like, viruses work, how bacteria works, how sort of things work and how sanitization works. So I think through this program, because we have other programs coming as well, like through this program that we're currently doing in an organization, we can sort of, that aligns with, with my desire to, 
get involved in, in public health policy and sort of um, creating of and fostering um, health literacy in community, especially in African communities and creating a world, I think, especially for, for the medical field and for, and for, and for doctors and nurses, it, um, the evidence shows that there's a, lot of, there's a lot better health outcomes when people are health literate because they can ask particular questions. Like for example, when you go to a GP and they are asking you particular questions in regarding to regarding your symptoms, whatever, the process that they're going through is an elimination process. And if you ask specific questions, that can help the doctor diagnose whatever you have much better. And it leads to a better outcome for yourself and for the doctor. So like if we sort of have that in in community and in, in, in Australia, we will have better health outcomes. And that's a large life goal of mine. So does that mean more study for you? A lot, a lot more studies. So I'm looking around like 16, 17 years in total of study. So yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a long journey. So do you, once you finish your degree, do you go on to another degree? Yeah, so after I, hopefully, so hopefully I get into mid next year and I, so after I finish my four years of medicine, I'll do two years of internship. Then I'll do um, two, three years of specialisation. Then after that, I would do a master's in public health, another two years. So that's piling up. Then after that, I'll probably do um, some diplomas in law because you need that. In it, it, it helps in, in health policy to have that. And then after that, I think I should be fine, hopefully. But then I'll need to, to work in, in labs as well at the same time. So, yeah, there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of work to do on my end. That's a long, long journey, but it's great that you've got these long-term goals. Um, and mm. how do you sort of stick to those goals? What is it that, you know, makes you say, yeah, I can keep going for 14 years of study? Like some students might say, how can you possibly, you know, have that and try and achieve it? Do you, do you break them down to smaller goals or how do you do that? I think that's like a two-fold two answer. So initially... I think the main thing you need to have is you need to have an internal motivation that is not because of other people. So my desire to pursue medicine is to use it as a tool to empower people. And that is an intrinsic thing. That is not an extrinsic thing that can be taken away by by bird circumstance or like by how I'm feeling that day. So having an intrinsic goal that is like central, that it can't be affected by like how you, if you're having a bad day, like this is something that you really, want to do, I think that's key. And then the second approach is, is being particularly strategic, like having, like sort of chunking the goals to time periods. I think if you make it like a long-term thing and then you don't have small goals, you sort of get discouraged. So having like, I'm going to do this by this time, this by this time, these are the challenges that I'm going to face. These are the people that I need to help me with these challenges. These are the resources that I need. Who do I need to talk to? And sort of, that's been, that's, like I can't, I can't, begin to describe how important having mentors has been. I don't think I would be still on this journey if I didn't have mentors. Particularly Dr. Garang Majok Dut has been, I can't even describe how important he has been to me on this journey. I think that's a really valuable um, advice because I think mentors and networks are extremely important because other people are there to help you and are there to support you and you need to grab those opportunities and take them. Absolutely. Okay. I think you need to be 
at times like aggressive with like trying to find your mental because like the way that i got dr Greg, my dog dude is miss devlin introduced me to my teacher from high school to dr sunny lee who's um one of the head gastroenterologists at st andrews hospital in queensland who then introduced who then introduced me to a community of doctors and then i met dr Greg. And initially he was a bit like he didn't really reply to my messages and i kept messaging kept messaging until he finally replied and then he's been he's been my primary mentor since and his, his advice particularly because he's south sudanese and he sort of understands a lot of things from from an african perspective and particularly given his his particular experiences and the difficulties that he's had to overcome he's very sensitive to to the things that i'm going through and his advice his, his advice is always like very very specific it's not like a general or oh, if you do this this will happen it's very very specific and the sort of challenges that he describes to me that I need to address and the skills and the resources are super duper specific to what I need. So having that someone who sort of understands your perspective and gives you specific advice, not just general advice that you can find in Senate, but specific advice is very vital. I think that's an amazing opportunity that you've got there and I think you should grab that and run with it um, because I think that's an incredible opportunity. Um, so finally, what advice would you give to students who are, you know, looking to pursue a career, whether it's in the creative arts or in science or, you know, as a trade? What would you, what would you tell them if you could? I think the first thing would be is to be clear about what you want to do and then sort of, Ask yourself, do I want to do this because other people are telling me or because it is something that is inside me that is telling me to do that? Because if it is something that other people are telling you to do, it won't last. The moment that you hit like a challenge, you'll be like, you will give up because it's something that you really wanted to do anyway. So the first thing is to ask yourself, is this something that I really want to do? And then if you're still questioning, um, ex- explore, pay- explore places where those things exists so like go to open days go to those different things and like ask questions like email a lot of people like you'll be surprised how many people are willing to respond to emails just whatever field or whatever thing you want to pursue find people in that field and just email as many people as you can get some answers get some mentors get some networks and then start strategizing of the things that you need to have to achieve the goals that you have the things you need to enter that field the people that you will need the challenges that you face, I think it is very important that you look at the challenges because I think if you don't plan for your challenges, you will plan to fail. So looking at your challenges, like what's going to be a problem? Like how, like, are my friends going to be an issue at a particular time? Do I have to stop doing particular sports or do I have to change this or change this? You have to look at like, what do I need to do to sort of help me get there? And then the most important thing is having a supportive network. That is like that is, I can't, I have no words to, to, to describe how important my family has been for me, Dr. Garang, Dr. Sunny, my brothers, like, like my friends, like having people who believe in you and who love you, irregardless of whether you achieve the goal or you go into a particular field, will just love you irregardless. Having a particular supportive network is very, very, very important. And search for that as well, even just beyond your family and your friends, search for people who have similar goals to you and, and um, be intentional and sort of form community as well. Well, I think that is the perfect way to end this podcast. And I thank you very much, Tapua, 
for coming on to Community Conversations today. And I will put all those links on this podcast below and you can click on and um, you can even email him. I'm sure he's very happy to to answer your questions if you'd like. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.